We'll hear God's word from the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you would turn there and follow along and hear God's word for us this morning. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit had come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word. Amen. Let's be seated. Well, go ahead and keep your Bibles open as we come down to this uh, new series in, in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is often... Uh, misunderstood. In many ways, uh, this book gives us a why for living as Christians. And if you're not a Christian, it gives you a why for becoming a Christian. Sometimes it's said if you're losing your way, it's because you've lost your why. You no longer have uh, a clear sense of, of why you're living, what the reason for your life is, what the purpose for your life is, uh, what you're trying to do with your life. And the book of Acts is designed to show Christians uh, what their purpose is, and it has a subsidiary uh, goal, uh, namely to call all people to put their trust in Christ, therefore that they might also have the self-same purpose. So if you're sitting here this morning and wondering what you're meant to be doing with your life, if you're wondering uh, what uh, the next season of life might have for you, what your way is, could be that you need to rediscover your why, your rationale, your reason, your purpose. Now, the book of Acts is structured around the kingdom of God. Let me show you this. So if you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, you'll find it on page 909 in the church Bibles. If you haven't already turned there, you'll see that uh, this uh, section that Pastor Eric read out for us focuses upon the kingdom of God. So verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And then again, verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And as we'll see as we go through this passage, that emphasis on the kingdom here is 
is uh, even more profound than it appears uh, at first on the surface simply by the word kingdom. But the kingdom is emphasized here at the beginning of this book of Acts. Now, if you turn with me to the end of Acts, and I'm going to spend a little bit longer this morning introducing this book as it's the first in a new series. If you turn with me to the end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, uh, there Paul is in Rome. He's under house arrest. Uh, he's in the center of the pagan empire, the Roman Empire, very much the center of the world at the time. And Luke finishes his book in this way. He, that is Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. He's under house arrest. Then verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So at the beginning and end of this book, uh, Luke, by the way he structures it, and you can trace this theme throughout the book, he's emphasizing the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And it's very much a story about how this kingdom advances. This is the why uh, for your Christian life. This is a why, a reason, a rationale, a purpose for your life. How this kingdom advances and indeed if you come back with me to the the chapter we're looking at this morning chapter one um, when uh, they asked Lord uh, verse six will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel he says to them it's not for you to know the times or seasons but then verse eight he says but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth so this kingdom is going to be advanced through their witness and in particular Jesus says he promises and commands it's a promise and command you will be both a promise and a command uh, from Jerusalem first circle then to Judea and Samaria next circle out and then to the end of the earth where we find at the end of uh, Luke's uh, account of the book of Acts Paul there is in Rome in the center of the end of the earth from a Jewish point of view he's now in the center of the pagan empire and indeed this witness to the kingdom from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth is how the book of Acts is structured so chapters 1 to 7 are all about their witness in Jerusalem and then chapters 8 to 12 are all about their witness in Judea and Samaria and then chapter, uh, chapters 13 to 28 are all about their uh, witness uh, to the end of the earth. So the story, and it is a story, the story of Acts is answering this question, why for a Christian living, and in particular about the advance of the kingdom of God. It's a story of the witness of God's people to Jesus that advances the kingdom of God from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Now, as I say, this is giving us a why for our Christian living and a why for following Jesus in the first place, so you haven't already. But the book of Acts is frequently, um, if not misunderstood, at least misapplied. And it's not helped uh, by the title we often give to it, the Acts of the Apostles, we often say, or the book of Acts. Neither of those titles is in the original text, the manuscript, Um, They're not wrong per se, but they can give you a misapprehension as to what the real purpose of the book is. The Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts. All that Luke says as he introduces uh, this uh, book, which is the second volume, 
in a two-volume work, Luke being the first volume, all he says is in verse 1, he says, in the first book, that's Luke's gospel, O Theophilus, Theophilus was the, uh, almost certainly the, the patron who sponsored the publication of uh, Luke and then Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so what, what Luke is saying here is, now, having in my first book talked about what he began to do and teach, I'm now going to tell you what Jesus continues to do and teach. And it's going to be a story about the advance of the kingdom through your witness. It's a story about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. That's a very important emphasis to grasp. You may say, well, that, is that a little risky to talk about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach? Well, let me give you a couple of authorities that will back up my interpretation here. Matthew Henry, a great uh, Bible commentator from the 18th century, uh, said about the book of Acts that it is a story of what the apostles were to continue, how the apostles were to continue what Jesus uh, was doing. But even, so it's a, it's a continuation of what Jesus is doing. But that focus on the apostles in, in uh, what Matthew Henry said there and what we often say when we talk about the Acts of the Apostles is also a little miscued. Uh, clearly there is in this book a story about what the apostles do, Peter and Paul and, and the rest. But, there, but, but not all the apostles are mentioned at great length or, or, or very much at all. And there are other um, figures who are mentioned uh, much more, like Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and his speech is uh, one of, if not the longest speech in the book of Acts, or Philip, the great evangelist, who breaks, uh, is used by God to break the gospel into Judea and Samaria in this next uh, cycle of their witness. And indeed, uh, the book of Acts describes the witness of uh, God's people in general as they're persecuted and thrown out of Jerusalem. They then take the gospel with them wherever they go and they're witnesses. So it's not really the apostles. It is what Jesus is continuing to do though. So John Stott, uh, uh, a great preacher from yesteryear, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, I suppose. Uh, John Stott uh, said that this emphasis on what Jesus is continuing to do is actually a unique part of Christianity. All other mere religions, uh, he said, their founders, their work is done. But with Christianity, our founder's work has only just begun. That's because he is risen. He's alive. His grave is empty. He ascended on high, and from his throne in heaven, he has poured out his spirit on his people, and he is at work today. And that is the story of, of Acts. So what that means is, if we were to summary what, summarize what um, the book of Acts is about, the book of Acts is the story, it is a story, it's an important thing to remember. So when we're reading uh, didactic or teaching material, uh, discourse, 
Um, and there, of course, there are sermons here, which are more didactic teaching kind of material. But when we're, uh, when we're reading that kind of material, it's much more obvious what is uh, prescriptive, what is commanded. But in a story in the Bible, it is not always prescriptive. Sometimes it is just descriptive. This is what happened. Doesn't necessarily mean this is what we should do. Doesn't necessarily mean we should expect that this would always happen, but this is what God did do. And so it's a story, and we'll have to be nuanced in our interpretation, uh, particularly when it comes to the miraculous parts of Acts, whether this is descriptive or prescriptive. Uh, But it is a story, so we're summarizing, uh, we've gone through thinking through the introduction, what the book of Acts is about, now we're summarizing it together. It's a story of how Jesus, the risen Jesus, how Jesus is at work by his Spirit through his people to advance the kingdom of God from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now that's, that's, that's quite a sentence for you to remember, so let me make it a little briefer. And uh, the way I've just put it in the title uh, for the sermon series is this. How Jesus acts through us today. That's what the book of Acts is about. How Jesus acts through us today. The one great hero figure in Acts is actually not Paul or Peter or any of the apostles. The one great hero figure in Acts is Jesus. How Jesus, by his spirit, acts through his people. How Jesus acts through us today. And of course, that gives us a great why to live, doesn't it? If you're a Christian, if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're following Jesus, Jesus is at work through you to advance the kingdom of God and impact the whole globe. And if you're not yet a Christian, you can join in to this wonderful adventure of advancing the kingdom of God, how Jesus acts through us today. Now, Having uh, put together what the book of Acts is about, we need to guard ourselves against two common um, misunderstandings about this book. The one within Christian circles, the one within the other within secular circles. Within Christian circles, the book of Acts is often thought to be a mere history book. It's just a description about what the apostles did or what the Christians, the early Christians did. It's about the past But no, it's not about the past. The book of Acts deliberately um, finishes on something of a cliffhanger. There's Paul in Rome, under house arrest, boldly preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and it's quite deliberate. In other words, what Luke is saying is, now over to you. Over to you. The work of Jesus by his Spirit is continuing through his people. Over to you to preach the gospel Boldly and without hindrance, the gospel of the kingdom of God. So it's not, it's not just a history book. It's how Jesus acts through us today. And so that's often the misconception in Christian circles. It's just like we get out our maps and our diagrams of Paul's missionary journeys and, journeys and all the rest. And that's fine, but that's, that's not the point of the book. The point of the book is to show us how Jesus acts through us today. 
But there's another misconception in secular circles, in non-Christian circles, and that is the other, I suppose, opposite extreme is that actually the idea is that it isn't historically accurate, that what Luke describes didn't really happen. Now, I don't have time this morning to get into all the reasons why I think that's not the case, that actually the book of Acts is historically accurate, though it's not a history book in terms of it just about the past. It's a living word, how Jesus acts through us today. Nonetheless, it is historically accurate. I don't have time to describe all the reasons why I think that's the case, but let me just um, cite one authority, a man called A.N. Sherwin White, who was a very eminent uh, reader, that is, professor in uh, ancient history at the University of Oxford. Uh, not a bad university, some would say, though there could be better ones, perhaps, I don't know. Um, but the uh, A.N. Sherwin White, uh, he described how, in his view, a great historian of Rome, A.N. Sherwin White, how, in his view, uh, the framework, the historical framework of Acts is exact, he put it. And he said that um, there is now no reason to doubt the historicity of the book of Acts, even down to its precise details. And he even said, those who do, it is now absurd to do so. He said that Roman historians have long taken Luke, Acts, uh, to be historically accurate. So it is historically accurate, but it's not just a history book. It is about how Jesus acts through us today. And that will give us the why uh, for our living. If you've lost your way, maybe because you've lost your why. And so here comes the why. And I've called the sermon, I spent longer in the introduction than I normally do because I want to set the context so you can see what this book really is about. It really is about how Jesus, by his spirit, is at work today. And uh, now we come to the actual um, body of this text. We're looking at Acts 1 to 11. And I've called the sermon this morning, what Jesus is continuing to do. And that's because that's the emphasis of this, of this passage. And there are going to be two simple sections to it, if you're taking notes. What Jesus began to do and teach, verses 1 to 3. And then what Jesus is continuing to do and teach, verses 4 to 11. So verses 1 to 3, what Jesus began to do and teach. He says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is all a uh, underlining and underlining a rearticulation of what Jesus began to do and teach in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke here... Uh, emphasizes key themes, uh, the key theme of Jesus' suffering or his death on the cross, the key theme of Jesus' resurrection, that he presented himself alive by many proofs, his death and his resurrection, uh, the key theme of his commands or his teaching uh, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, so the key theme of his death his resurrection, his teaching, and the key theme about the kingdom of God. And as we'll see in a moment, this is then uh, the, the key theme about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
He says, verses 4 and 5, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days uh, from now. So the key theme of his suffering or his death, the key theme of his resurrection, that he's alive, the key theme of his teaching, the key theme of the kingdom of God, the key theme of the baptism of the Spirit. Now let me ask you this question. This is what Jesus began to do and teach. Or could you explain the answer to these questions? What is it that makes Christianity distinct from other religions? Well, we've already began to talk about that. But it's what Jesus began to do and teach. He's not one Lord among many. He is the Lord. Could you answer that question? Let me ask you this. He's emphasizing the key theme of his suffering and death. Could you explain why it is that Jesus had to die? Do you have a good answer to that? Well, let me ask you this. The resurrection, could you explain all the many proofs that there are for the resurrection? Jesus is alive. We believe it. But could you explain why it is true and why there are many proofs that it's true? Or the kingdom of God. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. Could you explain what the kingdom of God is? Do you know? Or the baptism of the Spirit, a key part of the book of Acts. Do you know what that is? Could you explain it? See, it's possible, isn't it, to go through Christianity, to go through a Christian experience and hear these words, hear these terms, and never really grasp what they mean. Well, here's Jesus, and he's teaching to them over 40 days. What do you know? And you say, well, I'm not sure I do, but would, would you tell me? And uh, my reply to that would be, I'll give you, if you give me 40 days, I will. And it's a challenge, isn't it? We have 30 minutes or so on a Sunday morning, and these are profound things. And if we want to understand um, uh, physics, if we want to understand mathematics, we're not surprised that it's complicated at times. Here we are talking about life, the universe, and everything, the very nature of God. We should not be surprised if at times... Our minds are being stretched. They should be. For this is true. And we must think. We, we, we need to move beyond, you see, a sort of superficial chicken soup for the soul kind of Christianity to a 40 days teaching kind of Christianity. And you say, well, how do we do that? Well, maybe, you know, Wednesday night we have our men gather for a systematic theology class as they're going through together. Perhaps if you're a man, you should go to that. Our women's Bible study, um, the uh, adult communities that take place across the street with all our fantastic teachers. Let's dive in and understand these things so that you can give an answer to why Jesus, all the proofs of the, of the, of the eyewitness accounts, that, that the body was never discovered, that, that the gospel was preached simply saying Jesus is risen and no one, no one could, 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 uh, could counter that. And, and the, the gospel flourished without force or military power unlike other religions, simply by the proclamation he's alive. Do you, can you articulate that, that, that Jesus died and that he died for the sins of the world? He took the punishment that we deserve. Can you articulate that? Do you believe that? Do you understand that? That the kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom, but it's about the rule of Jesus. And wherever Jesus rules in our hearts, over any church that is submitted to Jesus and his word, that's the kingdom of God. And it's advancing as Jesus' rule 
advances. Can you articulate the baptisms of the Spirit? When Jesus ascended on a high in fulfillment of many promises in the Old Testament, he flooded his people with the Spirit that they might be his witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, speaking in many different languages to indicate now the gospel is going to all nations. And we now live in this age, as the great Puritan theologian John Owen put it, in this age of the Spirit, where now as God's people we have had Pentecost and therefore we can be flooded time and time again with the fresh working of his spirit. We would, as Paul puts in Ephesians, we can go on be being filled with the spirit. And we need that in a fresh way all the time. As Charles Spurgeon once said, why do you need to keep on, why do I need to keep on be being filled with the spirit? Charles Spurgeon said, because I leak, that's why. We need to be filled with the Spirit again. Can you understand this? Can you articulate it? Can you explain it? Let's dive deep into the Bible, deep into the Scriptures, that we might not, not just have a chicken soup for the soul kind of Christianity, but a biblical Christianity, that therefore we're equipped to advance the kingdom of God, what Jesus began to do and teach. But then also what Jesus continues to do and teach, and this goes from verses 4 through to verse 11. He's uh, meeting with them and he's teaching about the baptism of the Spirit, verses 4 and 5. As we've just, uh, I've just explained that at least briefly and we'll look at it more when we come to chapter 2. And then verse 6, they ask this extraordinary question. After all this 40-day teaching, they completely have misunderstood what Jesus is saying. So when they come together, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? John Calvin said about this question, there were as many errors in that question as words. They're still thinking, yeah, they're still thinking it's a physical kingdom. No, the physical kingdom will come when Jesus returns. Right now, we have a spiritual kingdom wherever Jesus reigns. They completely misunderstand it. So he says, verse 7, it's not for you to know times or seasons. The Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. They are to be his witnesses. The apostles, the primary witnesses to the resurrection because they saw the physical resurrected body of Jesus. We are not apostles. We have not seen the physically raised body of Jesus, but in a subsidiary, secondary sense, we are called to be witnesses. We're called to be witnesses to what Jesus has done for us. We're called to be witnesses in our workplace, as we heard from Eric already earlier this this morning. We're called to be witnesses at school and at home. We have a call to be witnesses as well. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is what Jesus is continuing to do, advance the kingdom through our witness all around the world. And when Jesus, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, I said that there's a more emphasis on the kingdom here than appears on the surface, and this is the moment. This cloud echoes the vision given to Daniel so long ago, and Daniel the prophet in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, he said this, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, that is Jesus. And he came to the ancient days and was presented before him, and to him, that is Jesus, was given dominion, that is uh, lordship, and glory and a kingdom 
that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom will never fail. It shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. He goes up in the clouds of heaven. This is the son of man. This is the one who's been long promised. To him is the kingdom, and it shall never pass away. And this Advance of the kingdom, what Jesus has continued to do, happens through us, through our witness. This is the why for living as a Christian. And uh, they see this, and they're gazing into heaven as he went, amazed. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes, so presumably they were angels, though it doesn't specifically tell us, but presumably they were, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, he will not come as a baby in a manger when Jesus returns. He will come with all glory and authority and everyone will see him coming, riding on the clouds of heaven, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that moment will happen. We don't need to stare up into heaven wondering what's going to happen. We don't know the times or dates or seasons. That's the times that the Father has set by his own authority. Don't stare up into heaven. When he comes, it'll be obvious. But in the meantime, you have a task. You have a job. That is to be his witness. And that is what Jesus is continuing to do through us, how Jesus acts through us today, what he's continuing to do as we are his witnesses. Now, there are two ways that we often get sidetracked from that witness, and both of those ways are indicated here in this, in this text. First, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're thinking about a physical kingdom. Down through church history, and currently as well, Christians often get sidetracked from the verbal witness and the lifestyle of witness by an obsession with the, the physical kingdom, the heaven on earth, the, whether it's the, the mansion that we want to build here rather than wait for in heaven, whether it's political We're about to enter into a great political season where they'll be fighting and warring, verbal sparring, jousting, this person and that person saying, no, this is the way to have heaven on earth. I am, as it were, the Messiah. But no, they are not. The Messiah is Christ. And our kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And we must focus on the witness that we have to Democrats and Republicans alike, for we have a spiritual kingdom. And that is our focus, of course, in good conscience. We'll have to vote for one or other person, and, and, and I'll pray for you as, as you make that vote. Mercifully, I don't have to vote. What a wonderful providence, I think. <laughs> but but, but our, our kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and that's our focal point. Not, not the, the, when there will be a theocracy. And that's in the future when Jesus returns. But right now we have a spiritual kingdom and our task is to be a witness. Don't get sidetracked by, you know, is is the kingdom going to be restored at this moment? No, when Jesus returns, it will be restored. Right now you have a task. Power will be given to you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the other way we often get distracted is by focusing on the end times. Look at them. They're staring up. They're gazing into heaven as he went. And so often we can get distracted not by physical, political things. We can get distracted by obscure theological things, trying to figure out the times and the dates and the seasons and staring, staring off into heaven and, and wondering, like, is it going to be like this? Is it going to be like that? And, 
and what's going to happen and we can, we can get into obscure debates like the medieval debate about how many angels you can fit on the head of, of a pin and by the way there's a philosophical reason for why they had that debate that goes back to Aristotelianism but it's an obscure debate and it's missing the point isn't it like is it going to be now is it going to be then what, what about this theological you know I spent my life studying theology I believe in theology we need theological weight and substance as I already said if we're to understand what Jesus began to do and teach we need not have superficial Christianity superficial Christianity we need something much more we need the 40 day Christianity the real teaching we need that but we're not staring off into the distance wondering what's going to happen no we're looking down at the world around us we're looking at our Jerusalem We're looking at our Judea and Samaria. We're looking at the ends of the earth. We're looking at our neighbors. We're looking at the people we work with. We're looking at our Wheaton and our Chicago and our Judea and Samaria. And we're looking at the ends of the earth, our mission to the whole globe. We're we're looking at the harvest. Don't stare off into heaven. You have a task. That is to be my witnesses, says Jesus. And that's how Jesus acts through us today. And wonderfully, as we think of that task of witness for which none of us feel adequate, Jesus promises that we will have power. Power from the Holy Spirit. And for us to have an effective witness in Wheaton and Chicago and the ends of the earth, we need a fresh pouring out of his power by the spirit of Jesus that we might be his witnesses so that we might indeed impact the whole globe Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth and we do it one witness at a time oh Lord God we do pray that you would help us to be your witnesses We pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to not be distracted by um, politics or um, obscure theological debates about the return of Jesus, but instead in confidence that you will return, in certainty of that promise, that you will come riding on the clouds of heaven all authority for you have been given dominion and a kingdom that will never be taken from you but will last forever in confidence of that Lord we pray that we would have focal, focus upon the task that you've given us to be your witnesses at work at home when we go out to eat uh, at a restaurant over lunch Uh, to pray for our server and ask them whether they have heard of Jesus and whether they'd like to know more. Uh, Lord, for us to pray for opportunities for people at work, to take some out for a, a, a cup of coffee and talk to them about their lives and ask them whether they have a why or whether they've lost their way. And be a witness to how you, Lord Jesus, have given us a reason, a rationale, a purpose, a motivation for life that we have discovered the right, the right why to live. For you, Jesus, are risen and you act through us today. Would you help us with this, Lord? Would you pour out your power in a fresh way upon us as individuals and as a church? 
that we might be your witnesses. And so see the kingdom of God, your kingdom, Lord, advance. Oh, Lord, we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.